What's up everyone? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. This is your hobby content alternative. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. Are you ready for a conversation about collecting sports cards? I think that's why you're here. Appreciate you, by the way. In today's conversation, we are talking about the importance of the collector story in our hobby. And there isn't a better way to do this than bring on a guest who is facilitating voices in this damn hobby and telling stories about how they collect, why they collect, and all of that good stuff. There is alignment going on between the Stacking Slabs podcast and today's guest. That is Austin Carlson from Carlson Cards, who just launched a new podcast about collecting. So we're diving in. We run the gamut. Always fun to chat cards with Austin. think you're going to enjoy this one. You like what I'm doing over here? Follow, subscribe, hit all the buttons, but most importantly, tell a damn friend that you're enjoying the Stacking Slabs podcast. Without further ado, let's kick into the conversation. I'm excited for this conversation. We're going to be talking about the importance of the collector story in our hobby. Um, have a, a two-time guest here on the Stacking Slabs podcast, Austin Carlson Cards. He just started a podcast. I've talked about it a little bit, been enjoying it. We're going to talk about that. But before we do that, Austin, welcome back, man. How are you? Thank you. Doing very good. And I appreciate the shout outs. I've caught them every time where somebody has said, hey, you got a big shout out on Sacking Slabs. I'm always excited. Yeah, doing good. My wife and I have our two-year anniversary today, so I forgot to mention that to you. But I mean, if I can spend with Brett McGrath, what am I doing? Like, it's just perfect. Great day. But she has um, work anyway, so it's perfect. Yeah, hopefully there's something... Uh, fun plan for the evening, but maybe just like before we get into this, I'm curious. Cause I, I have, I know you're a, a big, like safe search eBay, like, like we're all in the hobby. We're all like looking at our phones all the time. I'm curious is, are there any cards, whether it's eBay or any other platforms, are there any cards right now that I uh, maybe before this goes live, so it won't compromise your position. Are there anything that you're eyeing right now that you're like, this is a card I'm, I'm looking to win at auction, or maybe I'm in a negotiation. Is there anything you are comfortable to disclose maybe to get the, the party started? No, it's a funny, good start actually. Cause this week, a couple popped up. There is a 2012 prism gold Arian Foster PSA 10. <laughs> yeah, and there like, is. You know, if I'm like starting to collect all these other players, it's like, that's one that immediately, you know, you just remember from fantasy football. I loved, you know, loved watching him. And then there's a Jimmy Graham PSA nine gold too. I think this is like in two days or three days, but yeah, we'll be before the episode. <laughs> we'll, we'll be fine. And I have all of those. Uh, I'm watching all of those. And so I, yeah, we're fine. I'm looking at it. We've got a day. It's six hours left. And um, my, my, my brother has just, he's as a Reggie Wayne collector, there's a Reggie Wayne out there that he is. I, I hope that he gets it because he is like, it's all he's been talking about, but I was looking at it. Actually, it's ironic that you said I've got the whole I've got to watch this up. And what's what I thought was funny, although the Reggie Wayne right now with a, a day, six hours left, it's at 48 watchers, four hundred and twenty five dollars, uh, which I I'd imagine there's going to be a lot of people after that card. But the Aaron Foster, which was a, another card that like I same things you said, I was like, man, Aaron Foster's a badass. And I actually just got my first Aaron Foster card. But there's 53 watchers on that. It's at 177.50. So I don't that card. Like I was reading the back of it actually, and it talked about like his dominant season, and then 
it just like, it's amazing in football. Like a guy like Aaron Foster, he just like, he dominated and then he's kind of forgotten about. But when you look at this card, it's like his first prism gold. It's a PSA 10. What what do you like? What do you think that card is going to end up? So, yeah, that's a good question. So I bought, and this is the way I always, I look at it. Cause there's no recent sales at all. I mean, I'm sure you look, there's nothing to even gauge it off of, but I picked up a Chris Johnson uh, maybe two weeks ago and it was, and it was creased in like MC sports cards. I bought it from him by it now. I sent the best offer. Um, you know, he mentioned it was damaged. That still ran me a couple hundred dollars and it felt like a really good deal. So what is an Arian Foster and a 10 do compared to that? I don't know. I would have to guess like my guess would be six, $700. Am I going to make it up to that? Probably not, but you know, I'll try my best, but that's, that would be my guess, like six, 700. And I'm thinking like this card, why it's just amazing that you, these are the cards you brought up because like, I'm obviously watching and educated enough now through my search just to like sit and have a conversation about it. But I was like thinking about this card and it's just like, it hits a lot of different uh, dynamics. Cause you've got obviously first year prism gold. You've got, if I'm, which I'm certainly not as a Colts fan, but if I'm a Texans fan, this is the type of card that like I have to have in my collection. Maybe if you're a Vols fan, a Tennessee fan, Arian Foss, like it's a PSA 10. And so this is like, I think what makes collecting so much fun because you don't have anyone on Instagram like pumping up Arian Foster cards, but we're sitting here as two collectors kind of gushing about Arian Foster's 2012 prison uh, gold in a way, which I think is fun. And I have to acknowledge it's freaky that you brought it up. I said that card and you're also watching it. Like how weird is like, we didn't talk about this beforehand. That's so weird. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah. I think it's just the element of uh, collecting the same stuff and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit, but I, I know we're just talking about your collection. I think what you've done and what's fun is, it seems like you have identified different cards or products like finest different parallels within those. And you're, you're somewhat like, you know, you started off on the Manning breeze and you got Brady and you got these guys that are like best quarterbacks ever, but then you've kind of like dug in and now you're collecting a bunch of different players uh, across those uh, products. Maybe talk a little bit about, that whole mindset that you've had as you've dug into like building out your collection. Oh, I'd love to. So I can, yeah, I'll touch on maybe my evolution over time. So it's like when I first started, I mean, I've said this how many times everyone says this, no clue what I'm doing. I'm buying base cards, you know, stuff that has no rarity inherently, um, you know, just stuff that I saw everywhere else. And I thought that's what you should own. Then I would say about maybe two years ago, I found your podcast, a handful of others really understood the scarcity and rarity, at least for a little bit of like, okay, I want to move in that direction. Thankfully, during that time, market also corrected. So I could actually buy these now, you know, coming into this last year at prices that were reasonable. So I really targeted like I want to do one or two players first. I just felt like that was a really good way to do it. So I happened to do Peyton. And the reason is funny, obviously, you know, I listen to you. So I had some inspiration there. But the the reason's funny. I saw my wife the other day. She's like, why do you even collect Peyton Manning? It's not like you're like a Colts fan or whatever. And everyone always assumes I am. I'm not. Um, I remember being back in like, I would have to say it was like two second or third grade, right during like this peak Colts, like early two thousands. Like I'm, I'm only 25. So, you know, this is like, while I'm growing up, remember at the lunch table, I was sitting there and I was kind of a goofy kid, like nice kid, but you know, you get picked on a little bit. And I remember there's one like kid who is just such a dick. And he's like, Hey, do you even know what team Peyton Manning plays for? And I'm like, I have no clue who the hell that guy is. 
lo and behold, I went home and learned all about him. And then the next time he asked, I knew all the stats, I knew everything. Um, so that's kind of how I got in on Peyton. It was kind of funny. I remembered back to that and just like really trying to look at, you know, who are the greatest of all time, who's going to be remembered. And most of all, again, with Peyton, what was nice was what was affordable. And he really was, um, you know, it's not like I'm spending thousands upon thousands for gold refractors. It's more in the low hundreds for a raw or a nine or even less than that. Um, so like, yeah, again, kind of went from focusing on a couple of players, Peyton and Brady, getting the connections, understanding the sets. And then I went and expanded now, you know, let's say in the last six, seven months into new players. So I felt like I got really, I should say I learned what I needed to for Peyton. I knew the sets he's in. I knew now from 98 to 2015, really strongly all these sets. And then now I've jumped into like all these different players. Like we talked about Arian Foster. Like I just want to treat myself more as like a guy in 10, 20 years who has a collection, not just of like two players, but of like memories and nostalgia for these different players. And then What's crazy is, you know, I think we've chatted about this a little bit, but you start to get the spider web going like, okay, I have, you know, a Peyton of this card. Now I have a, let's say for you, right? Like Reggie Wayne, or for me, it's a Tom Brady that are, you know, same set, same card, same grade, everything just so cool. Like I love having them next to each other. And then now I'm kind of in that journey where, like you said, you find those sets and those parallels that are really attractive to you. I wrote down a few just for notes, like, so I'd remember but like right now, what I've been chasing, having a lot of fun with is like that first year select, the 2013 golds, talk about 2012 prism gold, super expensive select really has been more affordable for me. And I'm not trying to hype that up. I'm just saying truthfully, that's why I like it. And I love the design. And then I would say like, oh, five, oh, six finest, just love it. Oh, two, oh, three as well. I kind of bucket those four kind of in two different groups. And then I've really, really liked learning the nineties now. So it's been like 99 finest golds, like the first year of the serial numbered is really cool gold, strong players in that. And then 98 Atomic. That's kind of ties to Peyton, right? It's this card I always wanted, this 98 Bowman's Best Atomic Refractor that I haven't been able to afford or really find, you know, for Peyton yet. But man, I've got a Randy Moss now. I've gotten a Charles Woodson. Like, it's just so fun and so cool. So kind of long-winded, but that's my journey. And I feel like it's, you know, not necessarily similar for everybody, but it's very reasonable approach if you're trying to learn and don't have a bunch of knowledge coming in because you kind of just focus in and then widen out when you can. No, I love that. And digging in a little deeper on that, because I'm super curious, because I felt like just in terms of the types of sets, products that I was interested in, I I see what you're collecting. I'm like, that's stuff that I look at my collection. I see a lot of that stuff. I'm curious, uh, for me, I know that kind of, you know, rarity and scarcity appeal. Like those are some elements that I look at when I'm spending my money on cards. I'm curious to you, you spent a lot of time digging in on these finest gold refractors, for instance, let's just say, so these are cards are out of 50. Um, Now we talk about this Arian Foster 2012 gold prism, right? That card is out of 10. Have, Have you gotten to the point yet where you look at like you spend all this time on these these finest gold refractors and you look at them and you're like, man, 50 cards is actually kind of a lot. Like I can sell this card and maybe get it back, or I can go if I really want a card to fill out my collection, I can shake a few trees and find it pretty easy. But maybe on this like prism gold, this area foster, like there might not ever be a chance to get this card again. Like I know 10 to 50 might seem like not a lot, but To me, as I've explored kind of those areas, especially on the gold parallel side, to me, it seems like there's been kind of a a, a drastic uh, difference in those. So maybe I'm more attracted to something that's 10 or less now just because I know it's harder to get. And I know that might seem obvious, but curious, like, have you gone through 
any of that mindset as you are looking for cards to build your collection with. Yeah, f- fully agree um, with what you're saying. And like for me, the the Peyton's Golds were it was a little bit of an inter- interesting interest. Like it was just I saw people, you know, finishing the whole set. I was like, oh, I want to do that. And then like now you said, right, I finished that. I'm done with the out of 50s. But I realized that some of them during this time, I saw seven or eight go to auction in the last year. I've been looking, whereas this like 2002 finest gold that I finally was able to find, I've only seen one. <laughs> and then before that, there's one sale and I know who owns it. So it's like just out of 25 to 50 is a huge difference. And then, you know, I think obviously the unwritten part of this is a 2002 out of 25 is very different than a 2010 out of 25, right? I think there's a lot less out there for these older ones. And even like, I'll tie back to one of the sets I just mentioned, like the 99 finest golds are actually out of 100. I had the hardest time finding one compared to these cards out of 50. It's just crazy to me. But I think, again, it's just because of the time period and like, right, what were people, what did people know to save? Like that was the first time the golds were out there. There's a lot of backdoor copies. It's very, you know, different to find. So it's interesting. And then even to your point too, it depends on the player, right? Like some of these players, Arian Foster, I can't, you know, you probably can't even find any of these golds, let alone the 2012. So it's just kind of depends what players are heavily transacted and what aren't. Does, does a card that, this is something that I know it's like a, a theme and a topic within the hobby that I hear a lot of people talk about. And that's like, there are collectors that get upset, especially when they own a certain card that might be perceived as rare, but it becomes one of these cards that, you know, ends up being a hot potato card where it's like, you know, every month on a premier auction, we're seeing the same cards over and over. And what happens? Like the price continues to lower and lower. And so like the perception of the, that card and like it's esteem within the hobby, it seems like the more you see it, the more it kind of takes a hit, maybe the less desirable it is. I'm curious, just based on just like, if you own a card that like, let's say is one of those Manning later year gold finest refractors and you see it over and over go up for auction whether it's ebay or with an auction house does that impact like your mindset on like how you feel about that card like does that change at all or is it still kind of business as usual like i keep my head down i don't care what's happening on the outside yeah no easy answer is yes i would say certainly right like just Wanting to now, again, again, I would say this is very recent, wanting to absolutely own cards that critically do not pop up, right? It's like, I just love these cards that I now own. I've been able to grab that. Again, like we've just mentioned, they never, ever, ever see the light of day. But then I see some that I've had for a little bit that go to auction five, six times. And then, like you said, I, I did a I did a consolidation maybe like a week ago, finally. I've never really done it with my collection, but I just thinned it out a little bit. And a lot of my thought process was like you mentioned already, well, I've seen that one five times since I've owned it last year. Like I know it's numbered out of 50 or it's numbered out of 100, but I'm not too concerned now at this point of getting it back. You know, maybe I don't auction it per se, but maybe I'll throw it on eBay for a while and leave the best offer on and let it sit there for a bit. Right. And I know it's kind of counterintuitive because I'm saying I don't like seeing cards pop up. Now I'm saying I want to sell one of my cards, but it's really driven by the fact that nobody seems to be holding on to them. They're bouncing around and it's not necessarily one that, you know, is extremely tied into like a set I'm working on or a specific run, you know, it might just be like a one-off card that I've kind of had for a while, but maybe doesn't do it for me anymore. And I guess one point I want to make on that too. Uh, I learned this from somebody recently. I think it was, I can't remember who it was, but somebody told me that 
man, just, just keep in mind, you own the card and you got some enjoyment out of it. Like there's something to be said about that. There's utility to that. It isn't like you bought it for X amount. You're going to sell it for X amount. You didn't get anything in between. Like you totally got to enjoy the card and look at it and enjoy it. So like, that's a big part of it as well. I would say. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of the utility and like reviewing that when you're selling cards, um, because you did have like, I don't know before cards, like most of the stuff I was buying my buying, it was like you purchased that thing, whether it was a night out entertainment or whatever, and it'd just be a sunk cost. Like it'd be gone. Like at least like with cards, like you're enjoying it and whether you're getting back to what you bought it for, you're getting some something back. So I don't know. That's just the mindset that I've had. And I'm curious, just based on your consolidation, like feels like the perception has been from the mainstream hobby has been like, you know, you're going to buy this card and then you're going to hold on to it. Then you're going to sell it for 20% higher, like six months later. And you're just going to keep doing that when we all know that's not how it happens. So I, I don't know during the consolidation phase, I consider like the utility value, whatever, but like most of the time it's like, I'm trying to raise funds for a show, which we're going to talk about the national at the end of this, or like a new card that I see. And the, what I bought it for, like, doesn't really matter at the time. It's just like, it's a pile of cards. I'm just trying to get to a certain point too. So I don't have to go like into my bank account and, you know, take out a huge sum to go buy this card. And so like all the stuff you hear, like on the surface of how people talk about it, like, I don't know, to me and the way I operate, like, it doesn't really matter. So I'm just curious, like, do you think like that at all? Or is it maybe something different? Yeah, totally do. Like the hardest, I will say the hardest thing to get over in this hobby for me, and I'm, I've heard this from others too, is to get out of the mindset of, I'll just wait three months for football season. I'll just wait six months. I'll just wait till this player plays good. I'm telling you guys, it's not around the corner, right? We've <laughs> seen players win championships, prices go down. It doesn't make any sense. I, I'm just saying, for example, right? We've all seen this. So my mindset is very similar to you. If I have a direction I want to go and I have the cards that I can sell to get there, I'm going to sell them. And now I'm finding out, you know, sometimes you find out after the fact and you learn from it. Okay. This card I had, you know, it didn't go very high when I auctioned, I paid a lot more. Well, why is that? You know, right. Maybe it's time to start thinking about that. If you, if this is, you know, value is a part of it for you. Right. And then I sell others and it's like, whoa, I got so many messages on this immediately when I listed it. That's interesting. You know, what's special about that card? Maybe I should keep that in mind as I, you know, go forward because I think it's naive to say we don't want to own cards that other people want. I mean, that's that's a part of the hobby here. It is maybe like an ego thing a little bit, but I mean, that's just part of it, right? We love to share them and it, it's enjoyable. And we want, you know, I love looking at someone's collection like yours and I see cards that I would love to have in my collection. There's something about that that just, you know, brings us together. Is is there a specific card that you can remember being surprised about, like it that you put up and you sold it or something that happened where you're you weren't expecting it, but you're like all of a sudden it turned a light bulb on on a specific player card parallel and that kind of opened your eyes to go navigate that maybe a little more? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a tough question. I, I don't I guess I do have one that kind of comes to mind, but it's not super specific, but I'll I'll elaborate on it maybe a little bit. Um, so I do a lot of grading, like we've chatted about the last time I was on here. And with that, I grade a lot of cards that are for myself, you know, for me to collect. And then if I hit a high grade and I want to keep it, I will. Um, and then besides that, I also grade other cards that, you know, are up my alley players I like, but not necessarily ones that are in my collection. So those I'll sell to fund the other ones. Moral of the story, sometimes I'll grade these, like, let's say Brady, for instance, and you get a 10 and you would have rather had the nine that was like $300, but you hit a 10 that's worth like 1500 like, how do you, sometimes I question, like, how do I not list this? You know what I mean? Like, it's not in the sense of, I don't like the card. It's just, 
that price point, the grading differential is very interesting. So recently, for instance, like I, I think it was a 2008 finest Brady black refractor. Like I just bought it on eBay raw a little while ago, grade it, hit a 10. And I was, you know, you just really look at it. Like, would I rather have this money, you know, this X amount of money to go buy, I could buy seven or eight really cool cards for this money. Or would I rather have this one Tom Brady. So I listed it and then immediately got an offer. There was like no sales on tens for this and sold it much higher than it would have gone, I think at auction. But again, that's what I've mentioned before. I like to do the buy it now best offer. And then, you know, granted after a few weeks or a month, if it doesn't sell, I'll auction it. But I would say that my takeaway there, though, the reason why that one interested me is because perfect example of a card that's rare out of 99, but not like obscenely where you could never find one, but extremely high grade, very good player. So it's like, it's a reinforcement, I guess, a little bit of that grading multiplier is very powerful. And, you know, if I don't want the card because it's worth this amount, I've now sold it. And I have bought really cool cards with that. Bought a Randy Moss and a Kelvin Johnson out of 50, a Kelvin Gold Refractor out of 1007 Finest, and a Randy Moss out of, again, 98 Atomic out of Bowman's Best Rookie. Both of them were less than I sold the Brady for, right? Like I had heads and shoulders above rather have those two cards. That's kind of the way I look at it. Uh, did you, is the Calvin, the one that you just picked up from charm city, Tim? Yeah. And he, he is so awesome. I, I don't know how I had not been following him. I found his page maybe like a month ago after chatting with uh, Chris C dice on my podcast. Oh, his stuff. So awesome. He has so many cool cards and super fair to work with. Yeah, no, I saw that. I saw him listed on his story originally, and I wasn't a buyer for that card, but I was like, Calvin Johnson, I think has like this sneaky fun collector base. And obviously like, first ballot hall of famer it he's one of those guys it's like if this guy would have played you know for longer or for a contender where would he be in the all-time list i think he's still obviously like top 10 all time just based on his numbers but uh that when i saw him like post that card on a story i was like that card's gonna be gone because i was just like if calvin johnson he's super cool and it's a gold refractor or whatever and then like it was like put down the phone it's like moments later like i don't know what it was but it was like flash forward then all of a sudden i realized something you posted that you bought it i'm like that's what's the best about like the hobby and the community it's like you saw it or someone shared it with you and the next thing you know it's in your collection and you appreciate it so i i don't know i love it when collectors are selling to other collectors and don't have to deal with the middleman and all the fees and all the other stuff that you know we're so used to paying but in some cases if we just like build the relationships or listen to what other people are doing we don't necessarily have to yeah. And it's not sexy because nobody makes any money off it. That's why we don't see more of it. That's my take. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, let's get it. You mentioned your podcast. I'm curious. I know you've done some things just on YouTube and just showing kind of like some of your, what you're doing at shows, some of your reveals, PSA reveals and stuff. But I'm curious, like, why did you start the the podcast pro- project? Like, what was it? Like, why are you kind of taking time out of your day to talk with other collectors, share a little info about it? For sure. Yeah. So like, um, I guess I'll put it this way. So I graduated grad school. I finished uh, this, this, I guess it was spring. Yeah, this spring. So that was a big deal for me, spending a lot of time in the afternoons working on homework and stuff. And I had the free time, but I didn't want to lose that productivity now, right? Like I wanted to do something that I enjoyed and that the biggest thing for me, I had learned something from that was, so I molded over for a while. Like, what could I do that? I would learn a lot from because making videos on YouTube are great. Kind of more of a passion project, right? Like I'm just sharing things. It's not like I'm learning from others. It's more of like, maybe people can learn from me. That'd be great. But I wasn't learning from doing it myself. Right. So then the podcast thing, I just kind of molded over again and thought about it. I was like, okay, you know, 
even if it isn't successful or it isn't awesome, you know, whatever I try it out, you learn. And now I know so much and it ends up being, wow, I actually really do enjoy it and love it. And it came from a sense of, I think you hinted on already. How in the hell are there not more podcasts of people just talking about cards and their collection and their passion? Like, obviously everyone knows you do a great job on here with that, but there's not a lot more that, you know, there's all these different ones and not to throw any out there, but it's just like, I, I always felt like I was being sold something, some product or some service or some company that I don't need. I just want to hear a, you know, sit in my car, drive to work and hear about really cool cards or how people grew their collection. And like, especially I wanted to learn from people who, um, you know, maybe made it themselves, right. They weren't independently wealthy. They just came in and, you know, put money away and saved up and grew a collection. Like, you know, hopefully I'm trying to do here. And that was like a big deal. And I guess I got to add too, gain so much respect for you by doing this, because when you start making episodes and you get listens, you get reached out to by a lot of companies and a lot of people. And it's really, I would just say, I'm very like thankful and yeah, you know, happy to keep listening to you. And the fact that you haven't taken the bag, I just think that's so impressive. I appreciate the kind words. And I think it's um, a lot of it. And I've been, I've listened to all your episodes. Uh, All the people you've had on have been great. I would consider friends of mine I interact with. And I I have this thirst for knowledge and information and the stories behind it, because somebody's what we could collect completely different things, but their approach, how they went about acquiring a card, where they did it. uh, Those types of tips and advice, I think are just, I don't know. They don't get talked about enough. Like they're, like you said, it just seems like there's always a hook with a lot of this stuff. So we just talked up front about, I pulled some information from you to hopefully people understand like, okay, this is what Austin collects. This is how he goes about it. And hopefully like that information helps out anyone who's like in a similar position who are trying to navigate the hobby. I'm curious, like on your end, Obviously, like I feel like I'm trying to build the foundation off this show in this platform based on the story of the collector because I think the stories really matter. I'm curious on your end, like obviously it's early for you in starting the show, but like the importance and the the importance and position of the collector stories in the hobby. Maybe talk a little bit about like why you think they're they're so valuable and like why are you trying to pull these from your guests on a weekly basis now. Yeah, I think the biggest reason, and it's kind of kind of funny, I'll touch on the hype thing we always hear. The sports card hobby is going to 10x in the next five, you know, all that crap, right? But the thing is, if there's no one, if these people enter and there's no one to learn from and listen to, like there was, let's say three years ago, I struggled. I didn't find anyone really of substance that I felt like was teaching people things or like to learn from. And I'm sure it was out there. I didn't, it wasn't in the mainstream though. I didn't see it. I'll just put it that way. And to now have that, and if there are people who enter the hobby, and they can hook on, maybe it's just one of the stories that really connects to them, or maybe it's one of the guests. I think that's the biggest thing. I'm kind of making this for myself three years ago. That's the way I like to think of it, right? Because you have to think about like, who's your audience? I know my audience is a little older than I was at the time, like, you know, 22 or whatever, but the same idea, right? I'm sure you came in, you know, everyone's working their day to day. They have money to spend on cards. They really have a passion for it, but they don't want to be hit with the BS. They don't want to hear about drama. They don't want to hear about, you know, two hours of my personal, like, I don't know, you know what I mean? Just like me talking about myself for like the ego side of it versus just listening and genuine curiosity to learn from others. I think that's what the collector stories bring is you get that just like inspiration and excitement and like, man, I mean, if I hear a guest in your show and I see them at a show, I'm going to go up to them and say hi. And you now have that connection. It's like, 
even if it's simple, but it's a little bit of like, I heard you on Brett's show on stacking slabs. Like, I love that. And I love the fact that people get a voice who don't always as well. Right. Like I've done a lot of mainstream people, but I've also tried to start pulling in, like alternating with somebody who maybe hasn't been on a podcast, but collects freaking awesome cards and has a really good page on Instagram or, you know, I bumped into at a show or I've known for a while. I think that's like a big thing. And then people get the confidence, right? Like I came on your show and I had been making YouTube videos, but it's not like I like felt confident doing this sort of thing, but then I did it and I was like, Oh, that wasn't so bad. Like, I just think you never know who you're going to interact with that maybe, you know, does something like this and has a really good experience. And then they're the next person who now has this huge business or this, whatever. And it's like, I think that part's really cool to give the collectors opportunities that, you know, maybe they don't get on other platforms or podcasts where it's mostly focused on watch me flip this money for this profit or like whatever. Right. That's not one of my thing. If my podcast ever turns that you got to slap me, Brett, just yell at me, but <laughs> seriously, that's kind of the inspiration. I know long winded, but I really want to hit on all that. No, I, I definitely, it's resonating in it. And one thing, one thing that I think blows my mind and to me, just when we think about all the, the products, companies, content, it's people, people behind the camera, the microphone or whatever, it is so easy and so normal for everyone to just want to cast a wide net and be like, I'm creating this product, content, whatever, for the hobby. When in all actuality, when you just create something for a wide population, most of the time, what comes out the other side doesn't resonate and it's not very good because you're making it for everybody. And so I think just like focusing in, like, this is what I, I will, I've alluded to this, but when I think about the people on the other side of this show, I think about the individual who is working and is working a job, likely has kids, likely owns a home and is very busy. And in that small sliver of time out of their day, they think about cards and they think about eBay, they think about Instagram. And so when, when I'm trying to create content, I want to cater to that individual. I don't give a shit about everyone else. I don't because like I, I am, I, I'm not like that, nor do am I going to try to, but I'm more like that other, the individual that I described. So it's like, I want to be able to communicate to them. And to me, like those individuals, which I think is what you're helping facilitate, they they want stories from other people like them so that they can that can help ignite the passion. So maybe they're valuable to me. I think they're valuable to you. We're spending time to facilitate these, but it doesn't seem like people are spending enough time on the collector story. So maybe like talk about like the placement of the collector story in the hobby. And like obviously there's a void there, but like why don't you think there's there's more of this that's happening? Well, yeah, to answer that last part, I think it's, I already said this metaphor, but it's not sexy. It doesn't make any money, right? <laughs> I think that they haven't found a way to monetize. Yeah, that's the easy answer. But no, seriously though, I think it it's so important to be number one and absolutely first and foremost, because again, I've talked about my journey, right? Like I am the stereotypical, I saw a Gary V video. I came in, I never t- learned anything about cards ever. I wanted to make some money. Now, three years later, I literally have the most fun ever, like adding a card to my collection and just meeting other people who like the same cards. I don't think so much about the transactions and all that, right? It is like, I, I'm not like a genius in any of this. Like I'm still learning so much, but I would consider myself a collector now. And that only happened because I found those right voices that kind of guided it. And I saw the merit to it and the fun to it, right? You can still run an eBay store. You can still sit up at card shows and collect cards. Like it isn't one or the other, you know? 
Like, I feel like a lot of the voices you see, it's just one or the other. But like, to your point too, again, I think that's just exactly why it has to be in the front and in the mainstream placement. I think these companies really, not to get into companies too much, but why are they not leading with it? It blows my mind, right? Like, I feel like engaging and finding a way to share the collectors is what's going to really drive consistency and people staying for a long time. And like we've seen what's left after, you know, the hype kind of dies. It seems to be a lot more collectors that are around and in general. Right. And like, they're the end users here. That's the thing that gets me every time. It's like the collectors are the end users of these products. There's no like greater fool theory. Right. I pulled it up because I didn't want to bring this up. So you see a lot of mindset that's like the greater fool theory, which is described as it assumes that even if, even if an asset or entire market is detached from its fundamentals, right? Like doesn't make sense. There will always be someone otherwise known as a greater fool to take it off your hands. Like there's way too much of that going on the last like two years. And it's like the voice of the collector doesn't share that. It's like, I'd like to think I am an end user. You're an end user. It's right. We're promoting transacting between end users. It's just something that you don't see very often. It surprises me. But like I said, this needs to be at the forefront. If you're asking about placement, I feel like this needs to be more common and more, more led with, right? I love it. And it's like, when you walk into the national this year, do you think when you're going around to the showcases, are you going to see more Peyton Manning or are you going to see more Justin Herbert? Are you going to see more Jalen Hurts? And I'm not saying Jalen Hurts and Justin Herbert aren't fantastic football players. They certainly are. But they're so all those cards are so in your face from a an inventory and from a content perspective because everyone's trying to pass it on to somebody else. Yeah, the greater <laughs> fool is is at some point if you can't find them, it might be you, right? I mean, I'm not not to if if people love enjoying the cards, they got to buy them. But like any mindset of I'm going to buy this and sell it for more, I think I've at this point I've gotten out of that, and it's so much better. It's absurdly better, right? It's not saying you can't buy a card for a good deal and sell it and make some money and throw it back in your collection. But yeah, I don't know. Something about actually wanting to buy cards of players you care about and want to own. The other so, thing, so, I want to yeah, throw this so, Brett, too and see get your thoughts on this. Yeah. When I was talking to Adam like two weeks ago on the podcast, this came to mind. It's like absurd to me that we're in a hobby or a world where you're paying a premium for a player who hasn't performed, hasn't shown anything, hasn't created the memories that you love versus buying a player that already has the memories and the nostalgia for you. Like it's absurd that we pay a premium for the unknown versus someone who has already been on the mountaintop. Like obviously that could be a whole episode on its own, but it's just crazy to me. I think about that a lot. Yeah. And I think the tough part about that is, and what I feel like I'm about to enter and navigate is this what what happens in that scenario when you are a fan of a team and a player that's part of that hobby hype machine? Like case in point for me, I'm walking in to cold season next season and I have a new quarterback who looks like he could be Superman on the field. He might not be right that there's still a lot of TBD, but data says he has the eighth most selling NFL jersey right now. The guy's never even stepped foot on the field. His cards, I'm going to want them because my collection is full of Colts quarterbacks. They're my squad. He's super exciting. I'm a season ticket holder. But as I sit there and watch all this stuff happen around me that I've no, learned, don't touch that. That's bad. Like, what, what does that do for the actual fan? I, I am the end user. I think what it says is like, Shit, like I'm just gonna have to be patient 
And I'm not like, I can't see myself rooting for Anthony Richardson to be bad. Right. I like, I don't want him to be bad, but like the, every exciting play he has, like, does that mean that, that, that makes it pushes me that farther away from getting his cards? It sucks. And it, it and so like, I'm, I've been thinking about that a lot because most of the stuff I collect is, you know, the guys don't play anymore or they're, about to not play anymore, but this scenario is a little different. So uh, navigating that, I think, will be another evolution of my hobby experience that I haven't quite. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about a lot, but I'm not really really sure how I'm going to handle it yet. All is all I'm going to say is you're going to be a very good case study. This will be interesting. I'm excited to see this because I, I I personally don't know what I would do in your shoes with it either. Like, is it you grab two cards that you like and then, but you financially not concerned about right it's very hard <laughs> it's very yeah. tricky i think yeah and here's the other thing just the layer on top of that is there is so many cool cards mm-hmm. that nobody pays attention to that comes out regularly like uh sets and parallels and it's all this you know prism you know i, I select optic like it's all those things and so like that's where nt it's like all that stuff people go right but there's like a bunch of stuff that underneath all that stuff that i think is really cool so it's like you know what would i rather have a out of 199 prism card of whatever freaking color that is of anthony richardson or would i rather have like you know, an out of 25 mirror gold out of certified. I'd probably rather have the mirror gold out of certified and it might cost like half the cost of that. So it's like, I think you're, it's playing all of that, like considering all of those. And at the end of the day, like what makes me the most happy and what I am I the most comfortable with is kind of how I'm thinking about it. No, for sure. And it's funny, you kind of, it's like the way I think of it too, it's like, you almost get back to the kid in you, the, the binder kid, right? Like you're going to end up looking for cards that just look cool and you enjoy. And number one, you enjoy, right? That's the biggest thing without the investment side of things. I think you end up being back with a kid with a binder who just loves the sport, loves the players, which is cool. I think that's how it should be, right? I think that is really cool. I love it. Um, maybe let's talk about some of the stories, any stories just based on you doing the show or before you did the show, started the show, just like different lessons you've learned from hearing other collector story that you kind of just took to heart and you apply that and how you collect today. Yeah. One, I, one, I really like that comes to mind right away. And this, I think it is a little bit of before I started doing this, but like every guest has hammered this home. Um, and of course, bias based on who I'm picking, I'm sure they all have crazy collections. So that's part of it, but they seem to really want to own. And when I say they, I mean like collectors, it seems like that I've interacted with want to own the best cards for the players they really like. And they prefer to buy quality versus quantity, right? So like I've ran into this now with the consolidation where it's like, okay, do I really need every set rainbow for finest? No, maybe not. Maybe there's two years and I can take that money and now get the out of 10 because I sold some of the others, right? Like that's my biggest takeaway in that mindset of, you know what, instead of buying five out of 199s, maybe I'm going to buy one out of 50 or instead of buying five out of 50s, I buy one out of 10. I think that's a big takeaway. Again, not necessarily that the mindset there is like, oh, it's a great investment, but it just seems like people love owning cards that no one else has and that everybody wants, right? I, I kind of, I touched on that already. So that was like a big one that I've really taken away and I've tried to apply. And again, like I mentioned, like the Kelvin Johnson or the Randy Moss I just talked about, like, okay, rookies out of 50, like, my God, I'd rather have that over Tom Brady eighth year out of 99 PSA 10 that again, is just worth that much because it's a PSA 10. It's great. Somebody likes it and that's cool. You know, it's going to a, Good collection, I'm sure. But the other thing about it too, I want to just touch on is like, 
they have such a crazy long time horizon. Like there's no sense of like, again, I touch on this a little bit. I'm waiting for this next season to then sell it, unload it. Right. There's no thought of that because they're buying cards. They strictly want to own. And I'm thankfully been able to inherit that as well. It's like, yeah, I might sell cards, but like, there's no thought of buying it with the intention to sell, which makes sense. Right. And there's two buckets. I deal, like I said, I set up at shows, I sell on eBay, but the cards that are going my collection that you see on my Instagram, when I'm posting that there's not an intention to sell, there's not a thought of like next year, I'll sell this, but you know, like I said, I'll consolidate sometimes. So I think that's a few of the main ones. It's just really the super rare cards that nobody has that they really want. And then the the long time horizon is a big deal. And then I guess finally third point too, everyone likes to trade up. It seems like, which I have never done, but it's like, if you can skip half this crap and just trade like 20 cards into one, it's like, people seem to like doing that, which is, I don't know what the takeaway there is until I do it, but it just seems really neat. And I've seen really big collectors. Obviously a lot of people listening. have probably seen some of these really big trades that have happened recently. So pretty interesting. I haven't done much of, but that's something I'm certainly following other people who are documenting the process on platforms like Instagram and trying to take notes because it's really attractive, right? It's really attractive when someone posts is like posts like a grail card of someone and they're like, yeah, I, you know, traded a hundred cards for this one. I'm like, all right, let's unpack that a little more. Like, how did you get to that point where you're like, I'm how did you find the right person? And so I think everybody's story is different, but that's something that I'm certainly looking to learn more about, which is crazy because I'm like, it's always been like more, 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 but sometimes less is more or especially in the hobby. So I don't know, having an open mind and trying to do whatever you can to feel like whatever the topic is in the hobby that you don't know anything about and you're just willing to learn has always helped helped me out a lot. A hundred percent. Yeah. Fully agree there. Let's maybe move over to the national a little bit. I have was not expecting to really hit this drum yet, but I, last week it just like took over. I was just like, I started getting anxiety. Like I started getting anxiety because we, um, like you were talking to a lot of dealers, talking to a lot of, there's, everyone's got takes on like, it's going to be a buyer's market. Well, the dealers are actually going to be more willing, but they're going to bring out stuff that they know. There's just all this stuff. Anyways, I got in my head and I was just like, you know what? Fuck, I need to just go and look at my cards and see if there's anything that's been in my collection for a while that I know has value, but I'm willing to give up. And not only willing to give up, but put it in a home of someone who all I have to do is shoot him a DM. I literally did that one time to a friend. And he was like, this card's available. I was like, yep, here's the price. Could you do this? Yep. Okay. Done deal. And so like the reason for that is because I just, I want cash for the show. I don't want to do the, like bring the cards traits. I just, I want to control my own destiny. I want to be able to walk up to the showcase. And if that card that's on my list is there, I don't want to fuck with it. I just want to buy it. So I have like been obsessing over like, what else can I do? What else can I do? So I'm curious, are you on like the national, like, have you been thinking about this? Like, where's your head at? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I'm not sure how many of you have been to this. will be my first. Is this your first? You've been to a couple? This will be my second. Okay, second. Um, so truly, I don't know what to expect. I'm going off what I've asked people about, which I've mess- messaged a lot of people who are kind of, you know, been to a lot of them and had success finding really rare cards that they're looking for. I think mine's a balance. I, you know, I've been saving up cash for a while, just doing shows and that sort of thing uh, and just kind of stacking it up. 
And then I've now, like you said, and we kind of talked about consolidated, right? So I've listed some and, you know, some have already sold that I just recently listed. So it's nice to kind of get more money in and then figure out what cards I can let go of. The other part I'm trying to do is identify like maybe 20 or so specific cards that I'm maybe weren't even in my collection. It's just stuff I've had for a while that have been on, you know, again, online that I can bring and possibly try to sell slash trade. I know you mentioned you don't want to try it, but I feel like I got to learn because I've never done it. I don't go to shows actively and like walk around, and try to sell stuff. But I feel like that's part of that, what I want to try. And even with the trade nights, I just think it'd be nice to have like 20 focus cards. I know exactly what they're worth. I have a sticky note on the back with when they've sold last. There's no BS. You know, it's very easy. Uh, that's kind of what I've done a little bit to prepare. And then like the biggest thing, my mindset, I guess I'll put it this way again, from a first timer, I'm like really focused on, yes, I'll make a list of like 10 cards I'm looking for but I'm going to just trust the process and take it as it comes. Like literally my goal is to meet probably I'm sure hundreds of people that I've chatted with on online or that maybe have seen me and want to, you know, say hi and stuff. And I hope to do that. But that's like my number one goal is just meet people. I think that's like first and foremost. And then when the, I think the cards will come, that's, I mean, like last time I talked about when I was on here, that's how I came into the hobby was to meet people. And like, I feel like if I keep leading with that, it seems to be working well. So <laughs> I'll try not to try not to buck the horse and just go to go to the national with just an optimistic mindset. If it goes well, if I don't buy any cards, even I'll, I'll be fine. I'll have fun. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it'll be, uh, yeah, you'll be completely overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed and I know I'm going to be overwhelmed, again, <laughs> but it's, it's a blast. Like it's going to be a I'm good excited. time. And Good area. Um, and I want to, you've been doing this and I got to be a part of this when we chatted. And I think this is a fun concept, but I want you to maybe talk about, close the episode out, talk about your top four cards in your collection, maybe walk through them um, and then talk a little bit about why those cards are important. Sure. You mind if I share a screen, screen quick? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Can you see good? Yes. Oh, that looks pretty. But yeah. I had to make it. I know everyone Everyone that's been on the podcast, when they see the Mount Rushmore, they say, wow, that's beautiful. A few have shed tears. No, I joke. But um, yeah, no, it does look awesome. So yeah, so my Mount Rushmore. So Brett, you obviously asked me to pick the top four cards in my collection. Obviously, regardless of price, just what I like. Um, So these are four cards that I've acquired in the last 12 months. So right, like I said, I really didn't collect prior to that. Or if I did, I didn't feel like I deserved to hold on to the cards. Like It was like I didn't feel like I had enough equity into cards yet to be holding on to some. Now I'm at that point. It's a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, so the first one I, I, I've mentioned already is the 2002 Gold Refractor out of Top's Finest for Peyton Manning. Uh, so for those who know, you know, these are very hard to find, very expensive, um, especially in high grade. One popped up at PWCC like two months ago, like the perfect storm of everyone I knew already either had one or didn't have the money to bid on it. So I ended up winning it. I would say very reasonably. Um, it was a Beckett nine five, which I was happy about. I'd rather own that than um, a PSA ten, just because of the condition again I don't feel are, it is that big of a despair where it's like, you know, two times price for a ten. But that's the market mm-hmm. we live in. Um, this one is actively at PSA, which is crazy. I did that, but the case was chipped when I got it and wasn't shown in the pictures. Which kind of sucks, but I knew I was going to snap it or resend it to Beckett either way. So I did just go for the PSA on it. We'll see how that turns out. Maybe a horror story, but I'm happy either way. It's not leaving my collection, so that's fine. I'm looking at the subgrades, and it looks like it has a good chance. Yeah, I think so, too. It's all 9.5s, quad 9.5s. So I, I I tried to just think logically. It makes sense to send it. And this one, um, I don't know if I mentioned. I think I did. But out of 25, the absolute pillar of my Peyton Top's Finest Gold run. Like, this was the one that I was just knew would be the 
the final boss and it happened. So I'm just, just thrilled. It was so exciting. Those auctions get fun, especially when you're, you have the money and you're bidding on a card that you really want. It's so much fun. That's the best. And yes, O2, that's, that's a beautiful card. One, one day I will get one of those in my collection. Um, awesome card to start with. And then on the flip side, I gotta get a, I gotta get an X fractor. I know you have an X fractor out of 20. I still have to find one of those. So you'll get there. Yeah. So then the second card here, and it's a theme, this all four cards are sets that I've mentioned that I just really, really love. So one of those being 2006 finest. Um, and for those who, you know, maybe aren't as knowledgeable about football, 05 and 06 finest have the, I believe the same exact parallels, different designs, but same parallels. And then after and before they're totally different. So it's kind of cool. They're like sister products basically. Uh, so 06 finest, I have here the Tom Brady blue X fractor out of 150. It's in a PSA 10 holder. Um, this is a card that I got in a trade from a, a great hobby friend, um, Sean. His name is uh, at Show Busy Living on Instagram. Great guy. He hit, bought it from a local show. It was just sitting there for like, you know, five years probably in the showcase. And he bought it and graded it and hit a 10. And these are like, if you know the set, these are like impossible. The print lines are crazy. The surface has issues. So to get it in a 10 was just wicked. And again, I appreciate him, you know, trading with me on it. It's another example of letting people know what you're looking for and also being a, I would say, not trustworthy person, but in the sense of like, he knows I'm not going to turn around and go sell this for more, which helped the trade happen, right? That's a big deal. This card means a lot to me because one of the big cards I've hit to in a grading order that was like my favorite was a Peyton Manning of this. So I have a Peyton and a Brady, both PSA 10. The only pairing I'm aware of, I think the Brady's a pop four or three. Actually, the Peyton's a pop one, I think. So that's that makes sense that it's only pairing ever. But yeah, so I have that. I did have a Brady black refractor at 06 finest two that I was tempted to share. That's out of 10 or sorry, a PSA 10 as well out of 99. That one, I also hit grading myself. Um, and I, the reason I want to just touch on that for a second is like, that's a card that I graded like the other black refractor I've talked about where you hit the 10 on a card you didn't expect. And it's like, Oh my, how do I justify this price point of what this card is worth when I could sell it for all this? And I did list it for a while, but it's, it's in the collection. I think I'm going to hold on to it for the long haul here. So there was it was a fun journey of kind of experimenting. Like, I guess I wouldn't say, shouldn't say experimenting, but getting over the like imposter syndrome of I'm not a good enough collector to own a card like this. I don't own cards like this. I have to sell this card. It's over five, like five grand and a 10. Like I can't keep it. Right. Um, so that's, that's been a, a journey, but um, yeah. So two really good cards there. So yeah, that, that was the second card. Anything to add there? Sorry. No, no, just, I, I, I'm 06 finest fanboy. So it's cool to see that card for sure. It's funny when you talk about your cards, I can just go on and on. That's why I was like making sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> then my third one here, we have an 05 Finest Gold. Uh, it's the actually Gold X Fractor for Drew Brees. Um, so this kind of ties in again, I mentioned. So I started with Peyton and Brady, pick up the big cards. Then I was like, okay, what other players make sense and are maybe a fraction of not only Brady, but also Peyton. So Drew Brees is one of those guys. He's very reasonable. Um, so this is again, the 05 Finest Gold X Fractor out of 10. These are very... Very rare, very desirable. They only ran out of 10 for, again, the 05 and 06 year. So I picked this up also from an auction win on PWCC. It was a 9.5 with 10 centering, 9 corners, 9.5 edges, 9.5 surface. So I can't crack this one because it's definite downgrade. There's no chance I'm going to get a 10, but just a gorgeous I, card. Great doesn't really I, matter to me on a card I, like this, and I, I just I, love Breeze. I can't believe that card, knowing that set that that card and that parallel has a 10 centering, which is incredible because this 05 has centering issues out the wazoo. So it's that card's incredible. And it's amazing to see that it hit a 10 on centering. Thanks. Yeah. I, yeah. Totally agree. And what's funny is I, 
I think so. Friend of the podcast here, Drake's PC. I'm pretty sure he has a nine five as well. And I'm pretty sure the subgrades are identical or one of them is swapped, mm. but it's the same wow. spread. It's just like one of them is swapped. So it's kind of funny there. That's amazing. And I forgot to mention this one is Jersey numbered, which is really sweet. So number nine. Oh. Yeah. So just added bonus there. Love it. And then a fourth card in my collection. This was a very big toss up, um, but this, I think I went with the correct one here is the 98 Bowman's best atomic refractor, Charles Woodson. So I've again mentioned a lot of these sets already, but this is, these are out of 100. This is a rookie for Woodson. Um, and a big deal for me, just because again, I haven't gotten to the point where I felt like I can get a Peyton yet or justify it. I really want to work up to that a little more first. Um, but to be able to get a Woodson for again, a fraction of the price, it's in a nine five um, with quad nine fives also at PSA because I'm a maniac, but I prefer, I, I I've mentioned this before. I like keeping my cards in binders. You can buy like graded card binder pages. Um, so it's kind of, I love having these like in the binders. So I, I did send this one to PSA as well. Again, we'll have to see how it does, but just another one where I don't care about the grade. So I'll just toss it over to my favorite grading company and see how it does. But this card just means a lot being a, a rookie for Woodson, just unbelievable player. And you know, his interviews and stuff, like he's just got that mentality reminiscent of like a Kobe or a Jordan. If you've seen his interviews, just really cool dude. Um, and he, he did a lot for the Packers, which I love obviously being a Packers fan. So you can't complain about collecting a guy who, you know, almost single-handedly help you win a Super Bowl, right? Like that's just, just a big deal to me. So that's, that's number four here. Amazing cards. And you know what the hobby mainstream tells you? They say, don't collect defensive players. I don't know about that. I'm looking at a card of a defensive player. That's one of the greatest of all time. That's pretty amazing. And Dude, Charles Woodson, like he's he's like Calvin Johnson. Like he's got this sneaky uh, cult following of collectors, and it's just like it's fun to see a player like that remembered via the sports card community. Because then you all of a sudden get on YouTube and you remember like how great he is. And obviously, as a Peyton fan, he's got the connection with the same rookie year and Randy Moss. Which shout out to '98 draft class Moss Bang. Oh, yeah. Woodson, I mean, that's pretty good. So, and, and that's Austin, like where the spider webs kind of come into play, right? I've mentioned, like you connect all the different players. It's just so fun when they're in that draft class together. So cool. Definitely, man. This has been a ton of fun. What What's going, maybe share with anyone who's not tuned in already, uh, when your podcast typically drops and maybe anything you've got upcoming uh, on the show. For sure, yeah. So I, I'd imagine this comes out Friday. Uh, so this week, Monday, will be Josh Johnson, uh, Cardboard Chronicles on Monday. And those always drop at 7 o'clock Eastern on YouTube and then, you know, like your major podcast apps. You, if you search Carlson Cards Podcast, you'll find it. Um, the next week we have, uh, like I said, I try to alternate like faces we've seen, faces we haven't seen. So next week is a friend, one of the first people I met when I lived in Michigan and met at a card show. Uh, his name's John. He's a crazy uh, Detroit PC guy. So lots of gold prism, stuff like that. So uh, both very good conversations. So feel free to jump in if you guys are interested. Awesome. Everyone should check that out. And hopefully you, you were hitting Josh and trying to like figure out, it's like, all right, what do you know now that you're out buying all of these LeBrons right I now? Like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. I'm, I'm excited to hear his response because I think someone like him who's making moves right now and who he's buying those cards for his collection. That's a signal people should be looking at. So I'm excited to listen to your show to hear what he has to say about that. Oh, thanks so much, Brad. And again, I always appreciate the support. And obviously I've mentioned this to you, but I appreciate our friendship and everything I've learned from you. So just thanks so much. Yes. You can check him out at Carlson cards, listen to his podcast. Austin. Thanks so much, brother. We will have to do this again soon. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate it. So much passion, energy. I love 
having card chats with Austin. Hopefully you enjoyed that one too. Are you preparing for the national? I know I am. It sounds like Austin is as well. We will have more of these types of conversations going and going and going and going because that's what we do on this program. We're here to bring this type of content to you, the collector in the hobby. Enjoy your damn weekend. We'll talk to you soon.